Hello? Okay. You know, it's, uh, I, I've been talking in front of groups of people for like 45 years or something like that, maybe more, I don't know. But I never have once ever um, asked people to move toward the back a little bit. But I, I'd really love, just so that I can see you guys a little bit more, you know, <laughs> if you didn't up on the same row as Evan there or something like that, that would do good. And uh, yeah, uh, Jerry, you guys can stay, uh, you know. <laughs> I don't want to lose my good position with you. So. <laughs> so I appreciate your willingness. Helps me have a little bit of... Uh, eye contact, and uh, maybe uh, we could continue to follow up a little bit on that prayer uh, for our president and our country. Uh, America has been the envy, really, of the world. Uh, We're so innovative. We have so many things going on, and there's so much freedom here, but we always want to continue to pray that uh, Congress and the president and uh, all would make good decisions that would reflect uh, their love for people, including the unborn, and all kinds of other things as well. So uh, just uh, continue throughout this day. Maybe, maybe each of us uh, as family units or even as single units would take a little bit of time today and pick out one thing. It might be the Supreme Court. It might be the abortion issue. It might be... Uh, for our president, our vice president, Mike Pence, and thanks for the, the effect that he has as well. So may, maybe this would be something that we can uh, just check in on in the course of this day as well. I um, am going to uh, look today at uh, 1 Kings chapter 19, and we're going to look at Elijah again on the subject of endurance. Uh, Elijah's ministry at this particular time in this chapter is in the process of uh, coming to an end along with his earthly journey as well. And Elisha is going to pick up the mantle and carry on in his place. But there's a process before that can actually happen. And so it's a simple outline today. I have four points and you can follow along. If you get lost, it's going to be your fault, okay? But uh, we're going to look at uh, the call, the commitment, the courage, and the consummation. And let's begin by looking at the fall. I should, I've already missed it, the call. Uh, uh, You know, part of God's instruction to Elijah is to anoint Elisha as his successor. Uh, Follow as I read uh, 1 Kings 19, verse 19. So Elijah departed from Damascus and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, while he was plowing with 12 pairs of oxen. And Elijah came to him and threw his mantle on him. Elijah left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Please let me kiss my father and my mother, then I will follow you. And Elijah said, Go back. And so he returned and then took a pair of oxen and sacrificed them and then boiled their flesh with the implements of of the oxen and then gave it to the people and they ate. So uh, then Elisha rose and he followed Elijah. Just three brief observations here. First of all, 
Elisha obviously comes from a family of means, uh, considerable wealth. Uh, he's plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and uh, two to a yoke, so you're talking about 24 oxen. And any family in that particular culture that had 24 oxen would be considered quite well off. So, but before Elisha leaves to follow Elijah, he throws a party, and we just talked about that, for his community, and he slaughters two of the oxen. I mean, you slaughter two oxen. And that's a considerable amount of meat. So this was going to be a festive party that was worthy of a high-end wedding type thing. And this is what he does. So Elisha comes from a family of means. Uh, His family was upper middle at the very least, perhaps upper upper type thing. So he comes from a family of means. Second is that uh, the call to Elisha is to leave the family farm and enter into a life as a prophet. And that came from God, not Elijah. In other words, the call of Elisha to follow the ministry of Elijah came from God and not from Elijah himself. So Elijah, knowing that God had called him, went up to Elisha while he was plowing in the field and placed his mantle on Elisha, and then he left without saying a single word. Now, Elisha understood the implications, and he ran after him. And uh, again, let me repeat it. He asked, can I say goodbye to my parents? And Elisha says, you know, it's not my call. But if you want to say farewell to your mom and your dad, it's fine with me. Now, the third observation is that Elijah, or Elisha took the call of God so seriously that he burned the yoke plows. In other words, he liquidated all of his assets, making it virtually impossible for him to go back. So Elisha was moving from a life of power, from a life of prestige, a life of envy of other people, uh, to uh, a life of not power, but, uh, but poverty and danger. And that's where he was going. Now, I want to take a few minutes and talk about the call, if you please. And not so much Elisha's call, but your call and my call. Uh, we're not called. You're not called to be a prophet like Elisha. But if God's grace has brought you into his family then you've been called nevertheless. I've been called nevertheless. And when God calls us, it takes two forms. First, God calls you to become something. Uh, We're to become like the person of Christ in our attitude and in our behavior. We're to be people of love and wisdom and humility. Second, God calls us not only to become something, he calls us to do something. Uh, And this would be individually unique to the various people in this room today. It could be in the marketplace. Your call could be to the marketplace. It could be in the home. It may be a vocation or a role that you carry. In family, that would be a position, a husband, a wife, uh, a, a child, a parent. In the church, it refers to specific ministries in which we engage. So our unity as a church, our unity as a body of Christ, 
uh, is based on being the kinds of people that God wants us to be because he wants it for everyone. But our diversity is based upon the uniqueness of the call to each of us and what we do. Now, at the end of verse 24, Elisha arose and he followed Elijah. And when you look at the biblical chronology, you realize that Elisha was an apprentice to Elijah for 18 years before he assumed Elijah's role. So they went together as a team for 18 solid years. And you say, why in the world so long? And I don't know an answer, but I can speculate a little bit here. It's, you know, the greater the doing... The more, the, the greater the doing, the more important the becoming. In other words, if you're going to assume a great role, you're going to need great preparation, and that's exactly what Elisha was doing. Now, some of you will remember the movie, uh, Les Miserables, and uh, some of you actually went to a theater play as well, and uh, certainly Suzanne and I went to, to both. Actually, you may find it interesting that uh, the theater play actually went every single night for 13 consecutive years at a theater in London. So it, it had some staying power to it, but many of you recommend that. And uh, the last night of that story before the men were going to die on the barricade, they sang a song entitled, Drink With Me. And at this point, at a certain point in the song, it says, will you remember me when I fall? Or could it be that my death, your death, means nothing at all? You see, there's no, if there's no personal God, if somehow we're just all here by accident, then our impact on earth, whatever it happens to be, is eventually going to become diluted and displaced. It's going to become forgotten, uh, perhaps even altogether forgotten, because and replaced by somebody else's ideas who are more up to date. And so... One of you know, our, our theories about life here on earth, if there is no God, end up really on a pile of irrelevance because nobody cares. Somebody else is just going to go on. I want you to listen to the words of a guy named David Samuel. Uh, his reflection is very, very modern. So let's just listen. By the time my girlfriend and I had broken up, I concluded that the problem wasn't sex, career, guilt, or even boredom inherent in serial monogamy. Our ability to imagine a future together was a lack of any larger connection than our own personal aims and preoccupations. Basic laws of social gravity have lost their pull. We're free to be whatever we want to be outside of any traditional roles. But this freedom from the gravity of age-old constraints has been accompanied by a weightless feeling that has attached itself to even the most fundamental human decisions. Why bother about anything at all? Why get married? What are families for other than filling up empty space? And then he closes with this. The self was made to function in time, 
but it was never meant to save us from death or imbue our lives with meaning and purpose. The self, all by itself, is simply the root of selfishness, and it's selfishness that makes us unhappy. Now, here's the implication of all of that, what he just said, and I'm going to personalize it here. If a personal God created me, then I have to do what he built me to do. And if that's the case, then I don't have complete freedom, but I do have purpose. On the other hand, if there is no God and I'm free, but have no purpose, and then, you know, he says, let me say that again. On the other hand, if there's no God, then I am free, but I have no purpose. And there's nothing in between is what he says. You either believe in God and have purpose, or you don't believe in God and you really don't have a purpose. It's just a series of random events. Now, let me apply this to what David Samuel just said. He's saying that if a man and a woman live together without purpose, then unity is impossible. And that's because unity emerges from a common struggle. But you can't manufacture a common struggle when life is reduced to a series of unrelated existential events. You're free, but so what? And here's the point. You need a call. I need a call. You see, early on, Elisha was called to care for the family business and to work on the family farm. And yet when the time came for a new call and follow in the path of Elijah, he responded. Even though Elisha knew that God was leading him down a path that would include a great deal of heartache as well as joy. So you can spend a lifetime unraveling what God wants you to do, but before you can answer the call to doing, you must answer the call to being. This is who I am in the Lord. And that's the only way we'll be able to burn the yoke and the plows. We need to know who we are. Now, in 2 Kings 2, we move from the call of Elisha to the commitment. Eighteen years have passed since the call. And this is a a fun passage here. Follow along as I read. And it came about that when the Lord was about to take Elijah by a whirlwind to heaven, that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. And Elijah, Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. Bethel. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. Then the sons of the prophets who were at Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that the Lord will take away your master today? And Elisha said, Yes, I know. Elijah said, Elisha? Please stay here, for the Lord has called me to Jericho. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. The sons of the prophets who were at Jericho approached Elisha and said to him, Do you know that the Lord will take away your master today? And he answered, Yes, I know. Then Elijah said to him, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan River. 
And Elisha said, as the Lord lives, I will not leave you. You know, three times, Elijah asked Elisha to stay behind and not go with him. First at Bethel, second at Jericho, and third at the Jordan River. And three times, Elisha protested and continued on with him. Now, maybe Elijah, Elijah was testing the resolve of Elisha's commitment. Uh, we don't know. But in verse 1, as well as in verse 10, it appears that Elijah knew that this was going to be the day that the Lord takes him. And it's highly likely that Elisha, having been with him for 18 years, knew it as well. Now, one of the things Elisha learned is that servanthood is a fundamental requirement for leadership. And that simply means that the elders and the deacons and the ministry leaders here at Harvest are to carry the flag of servanthood. Uh, the world tells us to look out for our own interest. The Bible reminds us to look out for the interest of others. And those who are committed to the success of other people, if you invest in other people, committed for the success, uh, push them when they, you know they need to be pushed. When you, when, you know, just being that individual that wants to make them what God wants them to be, if you're that kind of an individual, you'll never lack for friends. And so we've seen the call of Elisha, now the commitment of Elisha, and now let's look at the courage of Elisha. Now 50 men, verse 7 and 8, of the sons of the prophets went and stood opposite them at a distance, while the two of them stood by the Jordan. Elijah took his mantle and folded it together and struck the waters, and they were divided so that the two of them walked over the dry ground. And so they kind of had a miraculous crossing of the Jordan River. And those of you who are familiar and been over to Israel, you know the Jordan River is not that wide, but it's been parted uh, a number of different times. You know, if it, it's, it's important to remember that the miracles of the Old Testament were both redemptive as well as anticipatory. Now think about it for just a moment. Each miracle is redemptive in that it benefits the people that are there at the time. In this case, it certainly benefited, this miracle benefited Elijah and Elisha because they were able to walk over the, the Jordan River without having to swim over, if you please. Uh, <clears throat> you know, crossing the river on dry land is kind of a graphic picture of victory, if you please, over death. The victory was accomplished by God. And so Elisha, he needed this kind of courage as he navigated his way through life as Elijah's successor. Uh, Elisha said, you and I, you and I do as well as we operate in the arena in which God has placed us. See, in the arena, and we're talking about the areas of jobs, maybe finances, marriage, family, relationships, health. There are all kinds of anxieties that can get the best of us. 
But none of these problems rise to the level of death. But even if they did, we still have a victory. I mean, think about it. We all know that we're terminal. Uh, we're acutely aware of our mortality, particularly the older that we get. But because of Christ's death, death for you and for me has lost its sting. It's not the final verdict. It doesn't have the last word. It's a whistle stop for a nanosecond before spending eternity with Christ and eventually with one another as well. Now, in verses 9 to 14, you find the consummation. Verse 9. When they had crossed over, Elijah said to Elisha, Ask, what shall I do for you before I'm taken from you? And Elisha said, Please, let me have a double portion of your spirit. May it be upon me. Now, the key to understanding uh, the nature of Elisha's request is to simply remember that the inheritance back at that particular time period allotted the firstborn son of any family a double portion of the inheritance. But with that double portion of the inheritance came responsibility on the part of the oldest son to be the spiritual head of the family and to be the one that was responsible to perpetuate the covenant of grace. So Elisha is using the language of the day to request that he might be the successor of Elijah and carry on that ministry. I want a double portion. I'm going to be the firstborn, if you please, in this ministry, and I want to carry it on. And so Elijah needs, or Elisha needs this kind of blessing. Uh, just to deal with the challenges of his own day. You know, he saw God's people slipping into idolatry, and he wanted to be the spiritual firstborn son, if you please, of Elijah, as God had called him to be to call the people back. You know, when, um, when God, gave, you know, God gave Elisha his wish, and when God grants a wish to you and to me, it forces us to ask another question during our journey here on earth, and it's simply this. Am I willing to live for heaven and the future, or am I going to demand that I have heaven here on earth? And it's a decision that's not quite as subtle as it sounds. It's something that we have to make. You know, when Solomon was given a wish, he rightly asked for, for wisdom over wealth. And Elisha here rightly asked Elijah for mission over comfort. Verse 10, Elijah, Elijah said, you have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I'm taken from you, it shall be for you. And as they were going along and talking, behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire and Elijah went up by a whirlwind to heaven, and Elisha saw Elijah no more. Now, the chariot here represents both the power of God and the justice of God. Uh, in this historical situation here, God is engaged in a massive demonstration of his power and priority over the God of Baal. You know, Baal was seen as the god of fire and rain and fertility. But what we've seen so far, everything God did through Elijah was simply an attack on Baal's ineptness. 
It was God who stopped the rain and then started again. It was God who sent the fire from heaven that ignited the, the sacrifice. It was God who opened the womb of a Shunammite woman and gave her a son. Baal didn't have any power over any of these things. And one other thought here. Baal was also recognized as the rider of the clouds, interestingly enough. You know, the thunder was his voice and the lightning was his spear is the idea here. But God is showing, as he takes Elijah to heaven, that he is the true rider of the clouds. It says in Psalm 68, verse 4, Sing to the Lord, praise his name, extol him who rides on the clouds. Psalm 104.3, God makes the clouds his chariot. He walks on the wings of the wind. So the chariot represents the power of God, the justice of God. The chariot was an instrument of war. You never went outside and hopped in a chariot to go pay a social visit to someone. They were made out of iron, very hard to pull, and oftentimes the animals that were supposed to pull these chariots ended up dying uh, anyway. So the old spiritual swing low, sweet chariot, it's an oxymoron. It's not true. Uh, it, it's, it's, you know, a chariot was, was a, an instrument of, of real power. Uh, chariots were ancient day military Humvees, if you please, okay? Now, in our text, uh, the sky also flashed with fire, and it was something of a funnel cloud, and Elijah was taken up in a whirlwind. Now, this is kind of the Shekinah glory, the resplendent glory, if you please, of God, and really a reflection of his justice as well. You see, when the holy justice of God appeared in the burning bush, God said, Moses, don't come any closer. When the Shekinah glory of God appeared on Mount Sinai, God said, Moses, don't touch the mountain. You see, the glory of God is lethal because it indicates his holy justice. You know, and we all know that in our sinful condition, we could never stand before a glorious, perfect God without totally being consumed and annihilated. But here, when the glory of God comes down, it doesn't sink Elijah, it lifts him. It doesn't take him to hell, it takes him to heaven. Now, why is that? Well, you look ahead, you know, to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, at his death, there were, at the death of Christ, you remember there was lightning, there was thunder, flashes all over the place, particularly at that point in time of the midtime. He was on that cross for six hours, but at the midpoint, the earth became immersed in darkness as, as Jesus was taking the holy justice uh, taking, uh, God was wringing out justice, I should say, on Jesus because at that particular time he was bearing your sin and my sin. And he did it for Elijah and he did it for you so that eventually we can be raised up. You know, 1 John 1 9 is a pretty familiar verse. 
But it's, it's, it's a brilliant verse when you think you and you try and sort it out. It, say, it, it says to, to us propositionally uh, what Elijah saw with his eyes. It says, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The verse doesn't say that God is faithful and merciful. It says that God is faithful and just. In other words, if you love God, if you can walk out of here today and say, you know what, I really love God, and that's, you know, that's why I'm giving donations to Honduras. I, I love for what he's doing for the people around the world. But if you love God, and God did not save you, then it wouldn't be a failure of his mercy it would be a failure of his justice. It doesn't say God is faithful and merciful. It says God is faithful and just. And once God's justice is satisfied because the price has been paid for our sin, once that's satisfied, then it is absolutely demanded that God find you beautiful. You know, it, it's it just because of who you are in his son, God finds you beautiful. And when we sit down on the pity pot now and then and just think through, man, I'm nothing. My friend, you are everything. Absolutely beautiful. So Elijah ascended because he believed in the one who would eventually come and die for him in the future, and that would be his Christ. We will ascend because we believe in the one who did come and gave his life for us and uh, because he died for us in the past. You see, the justice of God was on the side of Elijah. When you think about it, I mean, you go into a court of law, what do you want? Mercy? No. If you're innocent, you want justice. But in this case, you're not innocent but Christ died and says, I'm going to take that penalty as the innocent one for, for you so that you don't have to. And therefore, he can declare you as innocent, declare you as righteous, not because you're righteous in and of yourself, but because the righteousness of Jesus has, in fact, been imputed to you. You see, when justice is on your side, uh, the glory of God moves from being lethal. It would be lethal if justice isn't on your side, but if the justice is on your side, the glory of God moves from being lethal to being life itself. And it's a promise of God to which we can cling. And it's just illustrated here, but you know, everywhere you go, you're talking about the atonement. Uh, what Christ did to make it possible for Elisha to carry on the, the, the things of Elisha, what Christ did to even allow Elisha a chariot ride to heaven. You know, all of that is based upon the fact of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the one that came down and made it possible for everything to happen the way he wants it to happen, even in spite of all of the different myriad of ways. You know, we can, we can goof off and we can think somehow we've, we, we, we've done wrong and that God is disappointed. My friend, God is just like the best possible parent that comes down and picks us up, dusts us off, 
and say, you know what? Just rest in my power. You know I love you. Continue on. Uh, what an incredible God we've got. Just hallelujah. Father, we thank you uh, for these stories in the Old Testament, and we think things through, and sometimes we uh, get bogged down in the data. There seems to be a lot of stuff in there that uh, may or may not be worthy of reason, reading to us, but Lord, when we begin to comprehend what you are doing and who have you empowered and how, depth, uh, how much depth of love uh, that you have and how much patience you have toward us when we screw up. Uh, Lord, we, we thank you for that kind of uh, love uh, that's so steadfast, that's always there. And I pray, Father, that uh, we can carry the flag of love uh, just based in the way that we treat one another, that we listen to one another, that uh, we allow the Spirit of God to mature us and keep us from being so self-conscious uh, and bringing us into everything, Lord. We, we thank you that you're making us better people, us better brothers, us better sisters in life. And uh, Father, we, uh, we pray that it would produce uh, a life of gratitude. In the name of our Lord, we pray. Amen. How great the